And welcome to Pod Pod, the podcast all about podcasting, made by podcasters for podcasters. And that was still the best tagline I could come up with. <laughs> My name is Rihanna Dillon, and I'm joined this week by Matt Hill, who runs Rethink Audio and is the co-founder of the British Podcast Awards, and also Reem Makari, a journalist and Pod Pod researcher. Welcome both. Thank you for joining me. It is a pleasure to be here, Rihanna. Hello. Hello. On today's episode, Reem and I got to chat to Iwan Obanyan, founder of II Studios, and she's also a senior podcast producer at Gay Times. And she is a woman that I am completely in awe of. She's a filmmaker, she's a producer, she's also a composer. Has the biggest LinkedIn page you'll ever see. and for the first time on uk black pride a time capsule which is a podcast she produced she presents it um matt what did you think about all that yeah it's really interesting to hear someone speak very honestly about like their reluctance at being a presenter i think there used to be a thing where you know, if you were going for a kind of producer job at the BBC, like I, I used to have a thing where if I was going for like a, a job interview or something, I had like a, a stock anecdote about a presenter locking themselves in the toilets just before a link was about to start on the radio. And you'd have to kind of go on and do the link yourself, basically. And then uh, to kind of show that you could be a bit of an all rounder. And right. I think certainly in podcasting, you know, the, the feeling is that you are an all rounder, but actually that division between producer and presenter is still quite stark and unless you have the kind of flight time on the mic you will always feel a little bit like a fraud mm. um so the i would say to any producer who has any aspirations to be a, a presenter in the future you you just got to start right now you can't just wait until it's your time you've got to practice and do those little assignments do little vox pops or whatever <laughs> just mm. um get yourself on mic even if it's really uncomfortable and and, uh, and hopefully you will feel a lot better as you get on and you will enjoy it That's really good advice. And we talk about that in this interview and perhaps the unexpected way that she ended up presenting. So here she is, in all her glory, Iwan Obanyan. Welcome to Pod Pod. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the opportunity. There's so much actually to discuss with your podcasting career because you founded your podcast production company, II Studios, back in 2012. So can you tell us a little bit about how the podcasting market has changed and evolved over the past decade? And what was it like at the time when, you know, podcast, you were still having to explain to people what podcasting was, what it meant? Yeah, I do have a little disclaimer to make in that II Studios was founded I think it was 2013. For the first few years, it was mostly audio. So I've always been working in audio. So music, sound design, music for film, theatre sound, all of that's good stuff. And then about four years ago, I decided to focus solely on podcasting because there was a bit of a boom, particularly with like the pandemic and so on and so Mm. forth. That's when it really became a full on podcast production house. I would say that in terms of my training, I didn't know much about podcast. Nobody did. Like you said, you know, it wasn't something that you really mentioned or spoke about. And so in a way, it was a bit of a baptism of fire when I came to podcasting, because although I understood audio and I understood about the production and the engineering and writing because of my documentary film background and sort of narrative and storytelling, podcasting is very different because it is just audio and it's just that one medium that you're using Mm. to tell the story. And so it has 
different demand, the whole focus on audio quality and so on and so forth. So it was a challenge, um, but one that I'm glad that I took on. And um, it's definitely a journey. And I feel like I'm learning every day, including like teaching my clients as well and, and all of that good stuff. When you talk about, you know, four years ago, when you really decided to concentrate on podcasting, what did you want the focus to be at that point? You know about narrative and about audio, but how did you sort of drill down into what you really wanted to be working on? Our tagline at II Studios is telling stories that challenge the status quo. So I knew that I wanted to work with people to tell the stories of those who have been historically marginalised. So I as students, we have a bit of a triangle and there's three points of the triangle and I'm always going on about that to my team. And those three points of the triangle are LGBTQ plus issues, women's issues and rights and empowerment, and then stories about black and brown people, essentially. Mm -hmm. So those are the stories that I really want to tell. And if you actually look at my clients, you'll see that that runs through all of the clients that I have and their values and their ethos and all of the stories that we tell. So every podcast in some way touches on those issues and those demographics. Your portfolio with podcast production is huge. I mean, I've taken a look at your LinkedIn and the list just went on and on and on. (laughs) You've had such amazing projects on there. What have been some of your work that you've been most proud of? So I think it was probably the first ever podcast I worked on because that one, it was so in-depth and so intense and I learned so much and some of the hours were crazy. I remember being up until three, four in the morning editing this podcast and it was the Small Axe podcast for BBC Sounds that went with the Small Axe TV series by the director Steve McQueen. And I worked with Isis Thompson on that and I I produced one of the episodes, the one on intimacy, and it was intense. I I feel like I grew overnight. I think I learned so many things, everything from writing, how to write for audio. When you write for a documentary, you can rely on the images to tell some of the story, but you don't have that benefit with audio. Everything has to be done through the medium of storytelling. Now, of course, there are different techniques that you can use. So, for example, the music can guide you. A sound design element here can tell you something that's about to happen. But really and truly, you have to write so that a person listening on their headphones on a commute can follow the story from start to end without any other aid whatsoever. And so, yeah, it was so intense. Oh my God, I remember being up. I remember editing like as if I was half asleep. I I remember just being at my keyboard, just half asleep editing, (laughs) (laughs) just editing this this episode. Um, It was incredible. And I think it's definitely the moment where I realized I want to do more of this. Who supported you through that period since it was so intense? Yeah, so um, Isis Thompson, who I then went on to work with on the Amazon Prime series, The Underground Railroad, which was also a partner series to another TV series by Mm. Barry Jenkins. Oh, my God. You've worked with like incredible filmmakers as well. (laughs) Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been amazing. I'm very, very um, blessed to have done so. How do you think that crossover has kind of benefited podcasts? I think one of the things that podcasting allows you to do is to go in depth. I think sometimes with the TV series, there's only so much you can tell in one 
20, 45 minute episode, right? It has to be entertaining. It has to hit points in certain ways and, and all of that. And there's so many considerations just visually and then, of course, sonically. But I think with podcasting, you can you can go deep, right? Because you've mm-hmm. just got the audio. You can have historians. You can have storytellers. You can use your sound design to link things. You You can just go in depth, I think. And so it's almost like... It's almost like the reference book that goes with a documentary. The podcast Mm -hmm. is like that reference book that goes with the TV series, in essence. So it gives the viewer a chance to like, oh, I want to know more about this. I want to know exactly what the Underground Railroad was. So I'm going to go to this podcast and it's going to tell me that in this really in-depth, rich, multi-layered way. Do you find that people are doing that? Like going instead perhaps to Google or other kind of methods do you think they are going to their podcast feeds and typing in something and hoping because I realized I started to do that if I'm interviewing somebody I will look for an interview with them in a podcast rather than reach out and look for a a written interview now which I only just realized that's a very different way that I used to do it 10 years ago Absolutely. I think search has changed a lot. Like even when I was speaking to ACAST, so we just recently released a show called Stacked and we had like quite a big meeting with ACAST about the distribution of the show. And one of the things that they hammered home, and I'm glad that they did because it's something that I was already thinking and have been doing, is that when you title your podcast, you need to title it so that it hits your SEO search engine optimization so that people there are keywords in the title because people will search for a specific thing based on what they've watched based on what they've experienced they will actually search if they've read a book they'll search for the the author of that book or Mm -hmm. the title of that book and so on and so forth so I do think the way people search is definitely changing and I do think that podcasting plays a part in that and I think as podcasting continues to grow and evolve and expand I think more and more people will seek out podcasts almost like you go to a library to seek out a book to go more in-depth on a particular subject right Mm -hmm. along with your work with II studios you also are a senior podcast producer at gay times yes and you've worked across um, shows like uh, snatched and media watch Um, Mm -hmm. how has that experience been like for you and how has it been different than your work with II so I think with Gay Times, so Gay Times, yeah, they're a client of Via Studios, but obviously they are their own, they are a publication agency and they definitely have their own editorial direction that, that, that they take. For those who maybe don't know, I mean, the name of the company says it already, but Gay Times is a media company that speaks to LGBTQ plus people and their allies. And so when they came to me to do the podcast. They actually came to me with a range of shows that they wanted to do. So there was Media Watch, there was Snatched, there was Tag Talks, and there was Queer Me Out Chasing Tales, which is a partnership with W Hotels. And so as a company, normally we get one show at a time from a a particular client. It's like, okay, here's a show, we're going to work on that, we're going to finish that. Whereas with Gay Times, it was four shows and trying to develop the narratives for four separate shows, uh, making sure that the brand is represented well, that we're catering to our community in a sensitive, caring, innovative educational without preaching kind of way both to the community and to their allies and obviously they're very different so media watch is about an exploration of the media and how it has dealt with lgbtq plus issues historically and presently and then you've got snatched which is about rupaul's drag race so it's mm-hmm. almost like 
the two different sides of your brain it's like you know one minute it's like oh the conflama the drama oh, you know and then on the other side it's like so in 1976 <laughs> you, know, you know how does that crossover work because um i've listened to snatched i've listened to media watch and in the episode i was listening to specifically yeah media watch so in this episode with josh rivers they do talk about rupaul's drag race but in um i guess a much more analytical way than perhaps yes. snatch does but i was kind of listening that they they know that that is a reference point that their audiences are going to understand so can you talk about how you try and interweave these things that you know everyone understands and gets but doing mm-hmm. it making sure that you are reaching almost quite different audiences at the same time yeah. Is that the aim? No, I think you're right. Because what I find when I meet with a client, particularly for the first time, one of the things that I try to get to is, who are you? What is the message that you're trying to put out into the world? And what are the guiding principles that govern all that you are, if that makes sense. Like, what are the things you do say? What are the things that you don't say? What is the language you use? What don't you use? What are the topics that are off limits and the ones that are welcomed wholeheartedly? And then I think with all of this information, I'm able to then put together something where I then take the approach, okay, what would be a playful version of this? What would be a really serious analytical version of this? What would be a deep historical version of this that still represents them, but across multiple formats, genres, narrative styles, and so on? It's almost like making you work across many platforms. So it means that when I go to Snatched, and when you go to Media Watch, and when you go to Tag Talks, yes, they're different, but they all are gay times. Mm. Sonically, they're gay times. Narrative, they're gay times. The hit points that we're hitting are gay times. The energy is gay times. It's always warm. It's always inviting. It's always encouraging. It interrogates gently Mm -hmm. rather than antagonistically. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so this is what I'm always aiming for with, with a client is to make sure that their values are mirrored across all of the shows that they do. With the amount of podcasts that Gay Times has released, what impact do you think the publication has had on amplifying queer voices in the podcasting community or just in, in general on, on the LGBTQ plus uh, community? I think one of the things I've noticed with my clients who are publishers moving into the podcasting space is that podcasting audiences are really quite different. It was actually quite surprising to me. Podcasting audiences are very different than publishing audiences. And what I found with them is that when they go into podcasting, they attract a whole different audience. It's not the same audience as their publishing audience. And so I think what that tells me is that as an organisation, you you need to try different mediums because that's how you reach those people of your community who aren't going to read your magazine. They're not going to go to the store and buy a magazine. They're not going to download whatever app it is. They're not going to do that. But what they will do is that they've got Spotify. You know, most people have got Spotify. They've got, you know, Apple Music or whatever, and they will search. And if you come up using your SEO titles and Mm -hmm. stuff, then suddenly you're reaching an audience that you wouldn't otherwise reach. So do you think more LGBTQ plus publications should be investing into podcasting? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I think it's a medium that's growing. It's a very young industry. Mm -hmm. It's still finding its feet. 
It's still a bit Wild Westy. It does still feel <laughs> sometimes like you're throwing your audio into a void. So how do you kind of envision curating that Wild West then? So like you say, if companies want to put a podcast out there, making sure that you're not just throwing out a random one just because it's zeitgeisty, how do you kind of <laughs> yeah. ensure like longevity, I suppose? I think the the biggest thing is what I said about gay times is like, who are you? Why do you want to do this? What is your message? Who are you trying to reach specifically? What do they even want to hear? I think that's really important. And trying to do your thing rather than doing what you see other people doing. Because I think that's where you become A, more authentic and be more targeted in your approach. And then I think if you follow that through and you stick with it, because another thing with podcasting is consistency. So many people do their six episodes and this, that and the other, and they don't actually stick with it. Sometimes you've got to stick with it, even Mm. even if it feels like it's not necessarily doing the things you thought it was going to do. Stick with it anyway, because there is a tipping point. And also set your expectations as well. You're not just going to release one and get 100,000 listened in week one it's not going to be like that so set your expectations as well and follow it through be consistent know Mm. why you're doing it yeah what kind of feedback have you gotten from the queer community based on your work with gay times with tag talks one thing we noticed is that there's another side to podcasting yes there's the audience the wider audience who you know, listen on Spotify, whatever. But there's also something to be said about building relationships and deeper understandings with key stakeholders in a company as well. So what we found with Tag Talk, so Tag is the CEO of Gay Times. He was the host of Tag Talks. He brought on people that he knows like Amira Shur and Grace and Chance and so on and so forth. And what we found when we released that was that it's almost like people hearing directly from the CEO of the company that they're dealing with and doing business with. And so the feedback he was getting from those key stakeholders was, oh, it's so good to hear you and to hear your thoughts on these things and to see where you're going and where the company is headed and just to see a different side of you, like a more intimate, resonant side to you. So I thought that was very interesting beyond just audience and actually into the business side, the stakeholder side, that internal side as well. As you say, you've kind of been behind the scenes in a lot of podcast spaces. Mm-hmm. And now you've moved in with your current podcast, UK Black Pride, a time capsule, the first time that you have been in front of the microphone. But before we kind of get into that, what have you learned about interviewing techniques from the podcast that you were producing before you started getting into presenting? Because the subjects that you talk about are interrogative, but they're very sensitively handled. You ask really kind of searching questions and you can tell that your interviewees are always really appreciative of the space to be able to talk about something that they might not have been able to do before, at least not on the kind of platform you're giving them. So yeah, what have you learned about the the kind of interview process before you began presenting? Yeah, I've worked with a lot of hosts. <laughs> yeah. I've I've seen it all. I've seen a lot of things. And I think one of the things <laughs> I've heard the a weariness lot of well. in the voice there. <laughs> But no, it's it's incredible working with different hosts and seeing their different approaches. I think watching people host shows, one of the things I learned is that it's really important to connect with the subject matter on as deep as a level as you can. The human connection to me is more important than anything else. So, you know, my, my first few questions might not even make it into the show. I realized that you need to find a rapport 
with the guest. I think that's super important. And I think you need to bring yourself into that space as much as you can. Obviously, the the spaces I work in, they intersect with who I am. And so maybe that's a bit easier. Maybe if I was doing like, I don't know, some dead, dry business podcast. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it might be a bit different. I'm not sure. But, you know, I think connecting with the subject matter you know is, is yeah. super important and yeah. and with the person as well and finding that common ground i think is really important and also not stressing so much about the questions yes have your questions but if you mm -hmm. go off on one a little bit that's okay you're going to edit it anyway and it's yeah. fine go on that tangent you can find some really beautiful gems so like in episode one of the uk black pride time capsule podcast with lady phil you know the first thing she says you know i'm a bit of a politician and i went with that i was like all right okay so if i've got to dig deeper she's like well you can try you know yeah. and then yeah. we had a bit of a laugh you know what I mean there's the conversation about the AC and then I we go off on say, one about bodies you, you know. keep in you do keep in these little moments which I guess actually if you think about visual documentary making they have yeah. started to keep that in a little bit more like the person getting yeah. comfortable getting set up or making a comment yeah. that is not really supposed to be filmed but kind of yeah. it kind of humanizes right you're like you're seeing exactly. you're lifting the curtain yes is that a technique that you have brought over from your documentary side your kind of film documentary side or is that just something that you like to listen to yourself I think it's weird because I don't even see it as a technique I think it's just me I like to be playful a subject matter can be serious and the things we talk about in the podcast are serious but we're still human beings right we're still alive and wanting to play and explore and have fun and flirt and chat sh Ooh, can we say it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Okay. You know, we can just, you know, flirt and chat shit and stuff like that, you know? So I feel like, I don't, it's just human. I, I mm. always want the human. That That's mm. what I want. Because at the end of the day, we connect through storytelling. We understand through, yeah, other people's stories and, and through that human connection. We understand ourselves sometimes reflected through other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the first episode, there's a bit in the intro where you say, if you're queer, if you're black, basically welcome home is how you end yeah. the intro bit. And I thought that was very, a very beautiful way to start the podcast. Do you see podcasts as the safe space for queer people to come to? Um, do you see it as like a community that people can, can find comfort in? And that's why podcasting is a very good thing for the LGBT community? Yeah, I mean, I think podcasting is intimate, right? Most people listening to a podcast are listening on their headphones and that instantly seals you off from the rest of the world. So I always think of podcasting as a type of home or safe, a warm space, an intimate space where it's just you and the person talking and you're in your own little bubble until it stops and then you sort of come out of it. Yes, it can be as long as you stay, I guess, within the safe spaces because there are also podcasts out there that aren't safe for mm -hmm. um, LGBTQ plus people that do speak hateful things and mm -hmm. do you know marginalize even further you know LGBTQ plus people or black people or, or, or whatever it is essentially so when you started this podcast or when you thought oh yeah this would be a really lovely thing to do what kind of changed it from this idea to it becoming it's called a time capsule it's going to be buried right and then it's going to be dug up again in a hundred years or that it might be or like <laughs> <laughs> I'm never really sure how time capsules work are they supposed to be dug up or are they just there in case they're ever found 
Yeah, I think it's like, I kind of took inspiration from, you know, them old school children's programs. Yeah, yeah I, I remember like, they used to do that. Do you yeah. remember? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then and then your, your school teacher would then take that and be like, right, yes. our unit of work this term is <laughs> yeah. time capsules, you know? And, <laughs> and then you'd be like, oh, we're going to make a time capsule. And be like, so we're all going to make one thing. We're going to put it in here. And some kid in a hundred years time is going to find this thing. And you're like, oh yeah, amazing. And then you've got that one kid who's like, yeah, I'm going to put my racing car in, you yeah. know? They don't want to do no work. And then you've got the other kid who's like, I'm going to draw a picture. It's going to be, you know, and then this other kid's like, I'm going to bring in a picture of me and my family from our holiday at Brighton Beach. You know, we're going to put it all in. <laughs> You're so excited. I've done that in school and we dug it up in a week. No. Wasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So, so I guess that was the the inspiration for the UK Black Pride yeah. one is that it's it's unified by a common theme. So in the case of the children one, it's unified by the fact that it's a class of children, mm. right? They're all in one class and they're all making this time capsule together. That is the theme. It's school children in 1996, mm-hmm. right? So the UK Black Pride is unified by the theme of this is about UK Black Pride, a celebration, right? For a future generation. But inside the time capsule, everything is disparate. The racing car, the picture from the beach, the picture that you've drawn about your family, and you, I don't know, your sandwich or whatever. And then in our time capsule, each episode is its own thing. So if you actually listen to each episode, the music is different. It's, mm-hmm. it's sonically different. The themes are different. It can stand on its own, just like mm-hmm. the racing car, but it works as a whole in terms yeah. of the time capsule when it's dug up. So that was my thinking behind mm-hmm. it, basically. Yeah. And then when you you had this idea to do it, and you you knew who you you know where you wanted to be doing these interviews, the kind of people that you wanted to speak to, but then what surprised you? What came out of the interviews that you perhaps weren't expecting to hear? Oh man, so much. Listen, I feel like I should train to be a psychologist. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I was in. I was. I was sat in that audio van for eight hours at UK Black Price. We had an audio van with Audio Mango, and I was sat in that van the whole day. And it was literally like people just coming into the van. And then as soon as that door closes, mm. it's dark. And it's super intimate. Mm. And so it, it literally people were telling me things. And I was just like, sometimes I'd come out of the van just to breathe, just to, mm. I don't know, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot. It was, yeah. But some of the discussions were really, really deep. We spoke about everything from sex to sexuality, to trauma, childhood trauma, um, to racial abuse, to raising families, um, adoption, and, you know, so many things, protest, struggle, strife, the work that still needs to be done, the healing that needs to be done, the wounds mm-hmm. that still haven't healed, but you want to be healed, the the apologies that you wish you'd gotten that you didn't get, um, the homophobia that you're still experiencing, you know, trans rights, lack of trans inclusion. It was just so much. And everybody came in and they literally just offloaded for 10, 15, 20 minutes. And then they're out of the van. And then I'm like, oh, let me drink a little bit of water, <sighs> you know. Because you, Reem, you kind of touched on this earlier, but when Reem asked you, you know, who was supporting you through that time? So for this, mm. th- because, you know, you 
podcast that we think this is really fun. like I'm really enjoying this interview I'm going to go away I'm going to think about it it's not going to devastate me it's not going mm-hmm. to leave me with wounds or memories or trauma and for you yeah. presumably these kinds of conversations do and it's a shared trauma so how, how do you as a host then you're taking on quite a lot how do you sort of look after yourself that sort of self care after listening to a lot of this Oh, it's so funny because I asked this to a few of my like Lady Phil I asked that to her mm-hmm. like how does she take care of herself and I remember prodding and pushing her and now you're asking me the same thing which is now <laughs> I've now got to think about how I do self-care <laughs> and the answer is I'm not very good at it to be mm-hmm. fair because um, I think I came out of the van at the end of the day drunk two shots of rum mm-hmm. ate a, a couple packs of Haribo went to a hotel with my team (laughs) we popped a bottle of champagne um and then I think I just passed out to be fair and then uh, two days later I had surgery on my knee oh wow and then I think yeah and then I literally then had to recover for like a week and I think that's when I did some of the sort of decompressing I also think listening weirdly listening back to the interviews there's something about listening back to them that places them in the place that they need to be. So it's not held inside you anymore. It's now outside of you. And now you're almost processing and synthesizing what you spoke about. And it's almost like now it's outside of you, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also blessed that I have a therapist. Mm -hmm. So I go to therapy sometimes every couple of weeks or once a month or whatever, Mm -hmm. but she's brilliant as well. And I've done a lot of work in that that area as Mm -hmm. well. So I have a, a lot more resilience than I used to have, you know. Um, you've clearly put a lot of energy into creating this podcast mentally, physically, yes. everything in between. Um, and was this because did you consider the podcast to be a personal project for you? And was that also why you chose to host it? So, okay. So the first thing is I'm a reluctant host. So I'll explain why <laughs> with that. Um, I think that the second thing is it was our first in-house show. So one of the things that we're going to be doing from 2023 is producing our own shows rather than just producing for other people. So this was our first in-house show. So there was definitely an investment of myself as a business owner, but also as a member of the black queer community as well. It's something, it's like a labor of love. It's something that I wanted to do for us to have as a document an archive of our time on this planet, essentially. In terms of hosting, I wasn't supposed to host. Um, I was supposed to get in that van and I even made everyone. I remember saying to everyone, so guys, what you're going to do, you're going to put my question at the start of your answer because I'm not going to be in it. And you yeah, can actually yeah, hear me yeah. on every interview saying <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> to everyone. And then and then I did the interviews with like Lady Phil and Aisha and Josh and so on. And the interviews were so back and forth and so mm-hmm. interactive that when I started cutting it and removing myself, it didn't sound right. There was nothing to glue it wow. together. So to that was I mean. even the edit process that you decided yeah. that I, wow, mad, that does not come mad. across at all. Yeah, it was mad. It was so mad. And then I was like, I've got to be in this thing because even if I bring in another host, it's going to be weird for them talking, but then I'm interviewing. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there were moments in the van where we're just going back and forth yeah. because my experiences are coming out. I'm sort yeah. of going, oh my God, yeah, my sisters did this to me and this homophobia. And they're like, oh my God, yeah. And then my family and they were like, oh, rah, 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 you know. <laughs> so, you know, so I'm just in it basically. And I couldn't get out of it. What have you learned from that experience? Find a host before you start the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, that you're an amazing host. <laughs> 
Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. You're very kind. You being in it as well adds to that safe space mm. because then mm. seeing uh, whoever is answering the questions be so connected to a host, I feel like that just adds to the whole dynamic of podcasting. Yeah. Would you now consider hosting another show based on this experience? Oh, Lord. I don't, look, you know what it is, yeah. <laughs> I It's so much work. Like I was up until 10 or 11 two nights ago doing episode four because people don't realize you do the, you know, you do the interview. Great, wonderful, beautiful interview done. Then you come to the thing, you've got to listen to the interview. Then you've got to chunk it down and build your paper script. Great. Then you edit it, the audio. Then it's like, oh, now we need a VO here and we need a VO here and we need a VO here. And oh my God, I've got to do the intro to that specific episode. On this episode, we're talking about this. And then the outro on next week's episode, we're doing... So now you've got all these VOs. You've got to write the VOs. They've got to make sense. And you have to record the VO. So I'm like in my wardrobe with a duvet there just going on <laughs> next week's episode. You know what I mean? <laughs> then you get that. Then you've got to edit that. Then you've got to chop it in. Then you've got to put the music bed. And then you've got to... It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of work. If I had a team, I would be up for it. But I think if, if it was on my own again, it's a lot of work. But I am, I'm very grateful. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this wasn't done through II, or is II Productions just you, a one woman show oh no so II Studios I do have a team so I've got Ade Damola who is production assistant I've got a couple of editors and sound designers however and this is the problem when you are closely linked to a show is that I became very precious and OCD <laughs> and I didn't give it to my editors I didn't give it to my sound designers I did it all myself okay it's all coming out now this is the problem <laughs> When we were talking before this interview, you mentioned that you were also working on a survey oh, yeah. about uh, people of colour in the LGBT community and how they view podcasting. Yes, yes, absolutely. Are there any insights that you can maybe give us from the survey? Okay, so with this podcast survey, the aim of it was to find out Obviously, we are a black queer owned production company and we are going into producing our own in-house shows. So we wanted to find out what do our community want to listen to? What stories do they feel are missing? Um, where do they listen? That sort of thing. So we went really in depth. We got so many responses. And so what I'll do is I'll share a couple um, that I thought were particularly pertinent. Okay, so what genres do you enjoy listening to the most? The top two were society and culture and arts and entertainment. So that those were really big. And then what kind of shows would you like to see and what do you think is missing? Uh, one of the key responses was like queerness in Africa. Mm. queer people of colour issues mm -hmm. more educational and fun podcasts led by Cutie Park so that's queer and trans people of colour more shows for over 40s mm. um, mm -hmm. black queer podcasts mm. I thought this was interesting after listening to an ad in a podcast how often have you made a purchase of a product and 71.6% said never Mm. So I don't really know what the effectiveness is, of ads is. I know that that's one of the ways that people try to monetize their podcasts, but mm. I don't know. Maybe there's some innovation to be done there. I think definitely. We've kind of talked, haven't we, on the podcast about like the, you know, the little um, use this code and yeah, all yeah. the rest of it. And then it's like you have to remember the code and how yeah. 
do you even remember it? Are you sort of, are we sort of trained to ignore adverts now? Yeah. Do we skip them, yeah. etc.? So how do you actually finance yourselves? We produce for other people. So we have clients and obviously they pay for our services. And then for our in-house show, the UK Black Pride one, that we were proudly supported by Gay Times. So they helped fund the on-the-day stuff. So that helped us to get the audio van, pay for people, all of that good stuff. So that was taken care of. And then the production side, so all the stuff that's happening now, is paid for by I.I. Studios, essentially. Mm-hmm. So, and then that's a, an investment by me into our first in-house show in the hopes that we can then leverage that to, this is what we can do as a company. Let's now build our own shows. Let's pitch. Let's see who we can get on board. You know, all the usual sort of business considerations that, mm. that come into play when trying to fund something. That was a really interesting what you were just saying about the um, the survey. Mm. Reem, any mm. immediate thoughts that kind of stood out for you? The missing uh, shows bit was very interesting because I think there is a lot of representation in podcasting for people from the LGBT community in general, which is a good mm-hmm. thing. But I do mm-hmm. find that uh, for people of color within the LGBT community, there's a lack of or not as much representation. Yes. And I think it's important that people are showing that they want more of that. What do you think is you personally is missing from podcasting in terms of uh, for LGBT people? Yeah, I find that the shows that are out there tend to be a bit one dimensional. I feel sometimes like LGBTQ plus people are treated almost as a monolith sometimes. Mm. And sometimes I feel like that monolith is built on a white gay man Mm. model. Mm. Do you see what I mean? And then then that's who we all are, if that makes sense. And actually, we're not a monolith. And actually, black and brown people are a global majority, which Mm -hmm. then if you follow that through, black and brown queer people must also be a global majority. Mm -hmm. So just from a percentage perspective. So I feel like I would like to see more innovation in that area. I'd like to see more attention being paid to our stories and our histories as well. And also to see more like... I know that it said arts and entertainment and society and culture, but I feel like you know, audiences aren't dumb. And if something's good, they will open up to it. So mm. let's see more innovation in other genres as well for LGBTQ plus people of colour as well, because you don't know until you hear it that you like it or that you mm. want it, right? Yeah. So taking a chance, essentially. But I get it, money, capitalism, money. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> Was it maybe in episode one of the Black UK Pride podcast, maybe you were talking about how, I mean, it's called the Black UK Pride podcast. The so U- The UK Black UK Pride. Black Pride. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So right. you would, you, I think you said that there aren't so many people who are from Asia, for example, um, mm. who are represented in that way. So do you think that the structure or the, the kind of podcast that you've been working on, is that easily kind of applicable to people from other ethnicities and other backgrounds who might be able to look to the work that you've done as a structure and kind of use that as a springboard to create their own spaces where they feel comfortable? Yeah, I mean, what I love about the clients I work with is that it's across people of colour, if that makes sense. So one of the shows that I've just recently produced for Gaudem was Our Places Here, and it was telling the stories of Filipino migrant domestic workers and it was told in their voices so they wrote these essays and then we turned them into this sort of immersive sound design show uh, podcast sorry and we did one version in English Mm -hmm. and then one version in Tagalog 
And what I found with that is that with that, I then got a request from another organization who work in the LGBTQ plus space with refugees and asylum seekers of color mm-hmm. um, who were LGBTQ plus. Um, and they were like, that's amazing. I didn't even know that you could do that. Like a podcast that's in both English mm-hmm. and in their native language, but in their voice. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how broken their English is, it's important that their story is told in their voice because that's the most authentic, most heartfelt. I was nearly weeping in that mm. in that recording session. It was so powerful. I mean, we were all on the verge of crying. It was just really <laughs> yeah. just tissues adorned, you know. Yeah. Um, so it, it was I think that's the kind of thing that I want to be a part of is being a part of a change and showing people how they can do it and then empowering them to do it because we need more of those stories across the board, across our communities all the time, not one-offs. Mm. Yeah. What are some some queer or just uh, identity-focused podcasts that have done something like that that have inspired you? Oh, that's a good <laughs> question. That's a good question. There's a show I listen. I don't know if this really hits it, but it's such a good show and it's huge now. It's called The Blind Boy Podcast. And what I like about it, I mean, I don't know if he's queer or anything, but what I like about it is that it's in his, he's Irish, it's in his voice. He tells the story of Irish culture and mythology in the most compelling way through storytelling, weaving disparate bits. They feel like disparate bits of history. And then he weaves them to come back to this one point. So he'll like take glass making and then he'll go like into the history of, I don't know, medieval knights or whatever. And then he'll go like this and he'll go like this and he'll join these dots and then he'll come back to this central thing. And I've learned so much about just Irish culture, Irish Mm. history, Irish mythology in his voice. So he's like, he's like, feck this and you know, and he's like, you know, and he's got that brilliant Irish sense of humor, yeah. and it's so immersive, and it makes me go, oh wow, I wonder what this would look like in a queer context. I wonder mm-hmm. what this would look like from mm-hmm. a black perspective, from an African perspective, from an Asian perspective. I wonder what this looks like if we explode it out into all of these other other spheres, you know. So that's definitely one that makes me go, oh, he's onto something, and he is. And I've just seen on his Twitter that he has a hashtag in his bio that says actually autistic. And so presumably then you, you're talking about neurodiverse voices as well, which, again, we don't hear enough of in podcasting spaces. I think the medium of podcasting, just based on listening to the blind boy speak about him being autistic and what podcasting does for him, there's something about the intimacy of it. Um, there's not a lot of noise. Um there's something about it that I just think, obviously I don't know loads about it, so I don't want to speak as an authority, but it just sounds like podcasting is a space that I think is very welcoming of neurodivergence mm. in in the way that maybe some other art forms maybe aren't always, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's something that should be explored more, I think. And I'd like to see more autistic and you know ADHD people being in that space and seeing what they produce, you know? Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask, you know how you are you're creating this space and I think before that I think a lot of um LGBTQ plus people were just expected to find podcasts that weren't necessarily for them but to just you know take what they wanted from them so on the Mm. flip side of that do you find that your audiences are purely from LGBTQ plus communities or are there straight allies who might listen in and take something from what 
the, your communities have to say? Yeah, so definitely. I think our audience is mixed. So it's that sort of three-pronged triangle that I spoke about earlier. It's women, it's LGBTQ plus people, it's, you know, people of colour and our allies, you know. So we do have a lot of allies who believe in the issues that we're talking about and want to champion our voices and hear our side and find out information, basically, about, about the struggle. I also find that... A lot of straight people come to, it's almost like they've heard something in the mainstream media and they want an alternative narrative. I think it's what I like about podcasting, actually, is that it's almost like a source of, it's an alternative source to the mainstream narrative. And I think people like that. I think that's why people will sit and listen to a three hour podcast or a two hour podcast in a way that they wouldn't, you know, on on like, say, regular TV, where things have to be like 20 minutes or 45 minutes, you know, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's just an alternative to the noise of the mainstream. And I find that a lot of people gravitate to what we do for that reason. It's just Mm -hmm. an alternative, you know. Is there an area that you're particularly proud of having been able to talk about that you feel hasn't really been covered very well elsewhere? Because when I heard the conversation about uh, council culture, for example, on Media Watch, I was like, I have not heard this perspective before. And that's making me listen to it so much more detail and depth than any of the other conversations I've heard about council culture. I think what we do at II Studios is we ask, what don't we know? Mm. And then that's the angle that we take. So I wouldn't say that it's that we do it better or that we have some special, unique thing over other podcast makers. Um, I just think we offer an alternative narrative. We say, okay, here's that side that you've heard, but here's a different side. So we did that with Gaudem with the Reclaimed and Rewritten, where we explored the Tulsa massacre from the perspective. So it was a hundred year anniversary of the Tulsa massacre last year. And we explored that story, not just from the perspective of Tulsa and America, but also from the perspective of similar things that have happened in the UK. And I don't think that that's been done before. But there are loads of shows about the Tulsa massacre. Mm -hmm. But we just offered, like, what don't we know, particularly as people in the UK? And what's our British lens on it, the black British lens on it? So the New Crossfire, Broadwater Farm, the Notting Hill riots and so on and so forth. So, yeah. That's really interesting. What is the future of II? in the next say 10 years what do you want to see what do you want to complete i think definitely in the immediate future we definitely want to produce more of our own in-house shows and really take control of the narrative from idea all the way through to distribution and really hone in on those stories that sometimes our clients can't cover it because it's just not in line with what they want to do or it's not within their budget it's not within their remit that's not their focus and so we want to do those shows and we want to explore beyond conversational podcasts we want to explore playing around more with audio so we kind of touch on that in the UK Black Pride time capsule there's lots of sound design playing around with field recordings really immersive um, storytelling so I want to do a lot more of that I want to work in genres that I haven't worked in before just almost to just exercise and and find out what that muscle is for me as well Um, I want to grow the team I want to work with more brilliant producers and sound designers and editors and just be that person who offers an alternative narrative but in a really compelling engaging entertaining immersive powerful way basically 
Iwan, thank you so much for joining us. It's been such a thank pleasure you. to talk to you. I've really enjoyed this whole discussion. Also, thank you for the work that you've been doing with podcasting, like to the amount of the initiative that you've done with really showing diversity and representation and working on this type of stories that really give voices to people who aren't very represented in podcasting. I think it's really great. And we're, we're all going to be very shocked for a long time about the fact that you've never hosted before. Because <laughs> that's... that's, that's that's the standard that people are going to look up to. And it's yeah. like, it's mm. <laughs> intimidating. Oh, thank you so much. Thank oh, you. And no, I appreciate that. I appreciate it. It's nice because sometimes, you know, with podcasting, you, you do feel like you are just talking into a void, you mm-hmm. know. And so like to have it reflected back by, you know, people like yourself who work in this field and you know the industry. I think it's really it's encouraging, basically, because oh, you definitely. do sometimes feel alone, you know. Definitely. I do think it is. And it is much lonelier just recording in a studio by yourself or in a yes. cupboard, like you were saying. <laughs> in a cupboard. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. Back in the closet. <laughs> came out 10 years ago. <laughs> Could be the name of the year next podcast. <laughs> yeah. Back, Back in, in the, the closet. closet. <laughs> That was Iwan Obanyan, as I said, incredibly accomplished. And I still can't quite get over the fact that, A, she didn't want to present, that she was so reluctant, but and also that it was her first time doing it. And actually something else that I picked up on was something, Reem, that you kind of broached, which was about the self-care that you need to have when you approach a podcast like this. And it's just something that I've never really had to consider, I don't think, because a lot of the kinds of podcasts that I do are very film and TV related or like this one about podcasting. So the idea of almost becoming, you know, somebody who has to absorb a lot of trauma and stories through who you're listening to, I found really fascinating. What did you think about that? Because you, I think you were the one that mentioned it in the first place. Yeah, I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about podcasting being an intimate medium. And I think, especially with mm-hmm. topics like this that are so sensitive and so personal, it's important if you're so invested in a project, just like I one was with the UK Black Pride, to kind of have that support system on the outside that's going to be taking care of you so that you're not too lost in the podcast and that you're you're kind of brought back to reality. But mm-hmm. she also mentions the fact that listening back to the interviews brings closure and uh, mm-hmm. that it's kind of healing. And I thought that was very nice to hear because I think it can be therapeutic listening to these type of stories on podcasts. Yeah, that was really beautiful. And something else that I know that you were really keen on even before we'd um, spoken to Iwan was about the survey that she'd been doing, which she kind of touched upon a little bit so out of everything that Iwan talked about what really kind of stood out for you out of the survey results yeah um so we got like the exclusive survey results and I think about the most interesting thing to me was the fact that she mentioned that a lot of the things that people are missing from podcasting is more queer POC stories and I think that's really important because she mentions as well the fact that like there's a stereotype of the LGBT community being a white gay man and the black and brown people are a majority in the queer community. So it's important to see their stories being uplifted in the podcasting industry as much as all the other people in the LGBT community. And did we ever get to the bottom of what a time capsule is for? Is it to be dug up or is it to be left in the ground? (laughs) It's to be left in the ground for 100 years and then dug up. Okay, good. good. Glad, Glad we got that sorted. It was really funny, actually, when I was telling people after this interview about the idea of the time capsule, and obviously then everyone had their own stories about doing it at school, but but everybody went, but what if the technology doesn't exist? So it's just, you know, like 
people who have buried cassette tapes over the years, mixtapes and that. Maybe we should do a pod pod time capsule of all of the memories of all the tech difficulties we had in our recording journey. <laughs> Can we do it on floppy disk? <laughs> oh God. Nobody wants to be reminded of those. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of PodPod. You can find out more on podpod.com, sign up to our daily email bulletins or follow us on social at podpodofficial. Do subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode and perhaps you could also rate us and even leave a little review in which you could give me advice for how to ask for ratings and reviews without sounding desperate. Thank you to Reem Makari and Matt Hill for their invaluable insights and to Iwan Obanyan for the great chat the podcast is produced by emma caution for haymarket business media and i'm your host rihanna dillon see you next week bye, bye.